for Business podcast with me, Lauren Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain, behavioral and organizational sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. As always, make sure to follow us on Twitter at brain for biz and LinkedIn, or else we look forward to your feedback and comments by email to laurie at brainforbusiness.ie. The question of psychopathy and psychopaths in the workplace is something that we have discussed before on the Brain for Business podcast, yet it remains a fascinating and worthwhile topic, most particularly when considered in terms of power and leadership. To explore this further, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Iris Conifert. Iris is a graduate of the University of Bonn, from where she has a PhD in work and organizational psychology. Since 2023, Iris has been a senior consultant with the Cologne Institute for Management Consulting. And a key focus of both her research and her work is the dark triad of personality traits, most particularly related to psychopathy and how it plays out in the workplace. Iris, welcome to Brain for Business. Hi, thank you for the invitation. Great to be here. So let's start perhaps at the core of it. Where do psychopathic behaviors come from? So um, you might have already started with maybe the most difficult question of the topic. (laughs) And I have a a more complex and an easier answer to that. (laughs) So maybe start with the concept that my research is based on and also the maybe simpler answer. So the way we look at psychopathy is um, that it is a personality trait. So that psychopathy in in that sense is nothing more than, for example, the trait of extroversion or neuroticism that we know from the Big Five model. And that means that every one of us, to some extent, has some psychopathic traits, some psychopathic capacity. And that, of course, later translates into our basic behavior, which is the definition of, of personality, that this is the underlying factor of why we behave the way we behave. The maybe more complex idea behind how psychopathic behaviors come to term is, for example, what David Licken said, like a very influential researcher on the topic of psychopathy, who said there are two pathways to psychopathic behavior. So we have either the the intrinsic part, the innate part of psychopathy, like personality traits that we are simply born with. And he said there's also a pathway of extrinsic psychopathy. So socialization plays a huge role in here when we, for example, learn criminal behavior as a cruelty from a young age, that would would be another pathway. And well, if we went deeper into that, that would get more and more complicated because we end up in the topic of nature and nurture and so on and so on. But maybe for now or for my research, it's, it's important to note that psychopathy is not a black and white thing of having psychopathy or not having psychopathy. It's not only disorder, but it's a personality trait that we either have a lot of from or, or maybe just very tiny part of. But either way, based on, on your research, it's something that essentially we all have the potential or the capacity to to develop or to, to become. Is that fair? Yeah, kind of, if you have the expression of this trait. So there are, of course, people who are very low in their psychopathic traits who don't have any propensity to, for example, for dominant behavior or cruel behavior and so on. So it's it's part of what we're born with, like extroversion or introversion. Some have more psychopathic capacities and some not. But basically, it's it's not a, a thing that 
comes across once in a while in, in some person, but every one of us has maybe more or less psychopathic propensities. And if we build upon that example you gave mm -hmm. there of extroversion versus introversion, mm -hmm. and I know, I know it's not an either or, but it's more of a spectrum, w would that also suggest that just as I might be very highly extroverted, but I can also in certain contexts demonstrate more introverted behaviours, I might not mm -hmm. typically demonstrate psychopathic behaviours. However, in certain contexts, I might stretch into that domain. I, am I understanding right? Yes, surely. And this is also what maybe leads to, to my research and what my research group does a lot. There's a theory called trait activation theory by Ted and Burnett, who propose that, of course, this is part of personality that we have innate, for example, but always, for example, side, uh, situational characteristics play a role. So whether my temperament comes to to behaviors, actual behaviors, depends on, for example, the situation. Even the most extroverted person might be quiet at a funeral, for example. Mm. And in the same way, a more uh, person with psychopathic traits or high expressions in psychopathy might express less of those behaviors in, in certain situations. And the other way around, a person with maybe just some psychopathic expressions might be triggered to show them if the situation grants for it. Or not, as the, as the case not, may yes. be. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned there dominance uh, as a, mm -hmm. an element of mm -hmm. um, psychopathy. What would you say are the other key components mm -hmm. of, of psychopathy that make up that personality or character trait? So psychopathy is basically a very complex or, or even contradictory condition or personality trait because we have this part that you already mentioned, uh, which we also term boldness. And it entails, for example, dominance or fearless behavior, people that like to take risks and also kind of charming behavior. So as an example, I like to reference James Bond, who is a perfect example <laughs> for this kind of charming but reckless uh, behavior that comes along with boldness. But we also have the component of meanness, which means people that are have a lack of empathy, that are cold-hearted, that are callous, even cruel sometimes and don't really care about what other people think or feel, or maybe don't even have the capacity to know what other people think or feel. And the final part, so we have those three parts in that model, boldness, meanness, and the third part would be disinhibition. So people who are to a very high extent not able to control their impulses, they immediately react to what they see or feel or whatever. So that often goes along with irresponsibility or also cruel behavior because you just immediately react without regulating your emotions. And we have those three parts and you can imagine it a little bit like, uh, you know, those mixing boards that DJs have and not everyone has the same, like you don't have to be mean and as bold. You can be more mean and less bold or very disinhibited and very mean, or you can have like all three on, on full blast, for example. And is it worse to, to have all three at uh, at full blast, as you put it? Does that mean, you know, the, the, the ultimate in terms of psychopaths and psychopathic behavior? There's actually a lot of discussion around <laughs> possible combinations or, or um, yeah, around the model. But I think having all three on full would actually be the full expression of psychopathy. There's some debate around, for example, someone who is just bold, is that still psychopathy or not? There's a lot of discussion around that. But I would say meanness is really a core component because we have this cruel and callous nature and the others are 
maybe around that that core component of psychopathy. The charming point is interesting because I think that can kind of perhaps conceal certain mm -hmm. characteristics. And we, we previously spoke on the podcast to Christina Grego of Longwood University, who used the term snakes in suits to describe Yes. that sort of extremely charming uh, psychopath, a James Bond character or uh, or perhaps others that, that people might know. Yeah, one of the influential writings from Cleckley on psychopathy from the past century is also termed the mask of sanity. So when we talk about psychopathy, we all often refer to kind of a mask that masks those cruel behaviors. There are also studies on the short-term effectiveness of psychopathy because they manage to keep up a real good image of themselves for short term. And after that, people notice that they are kind of cruel and disinhibited and impulsive and so on. But with this maybe charming first impression and this dominance and this yeah, kind of impressive behavior, they manage to, to get people uh, on board with them mm. before they notice that they are maybe more psychopathic, more cruel and so on. It fits with a uh, a quote I've heard, and I haven't ever seen the, the the reference, but a quote from the Swiss psychologist Carl Jung that we leak the truth. We can put on a certain mask, but after yeah. a while, people will start to recognize actually it's a mask. It's not the real person I'm seeing. Yes, yes, and this is the the main idea on how this meanness and disambition can come along with with such charming behavior that it's maybe even like. If we speak evolutionary psychology, maybe even a short-term strategy that you don't need—you don't even need more. You can be—you uh, can get the people on your side. You can get your job. You can get whatever you want. And when people notice, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you've recently undertaken research into the impact of psychopathic behaviors on leadership effectiveness. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about the the research? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe to, to give you a broader context, my research group does a lot of research around the whole dark triad, so Machiavellianism and narcissism and above all psychopathy, or for me above all psychopathy, and different workplace implications. So how does it affect performance? How does it affect uh, well-being and so on and so on? And it's kind of a, a hard balance because this topic has had a lot of media coverage. So I think since it emerged as a research topic, I read so many articles like how to tell if your boss is a psychopath, <laughs> 10 signs that your colleague might be psychopathic and so on and so on. So we have a lot of media coverage. And, and the question we ask is, so what is really behind it? Is, is it really such a big problem? And if so, how can it be addressed? And on the other hand, I, I really don't want to diminish the experiences of people that really do work with, with those people. So it's, it's a hard balance between maybe cooling the discussion a little bit down, but also taking the concern seriously. And what, what we usually do is that we not only look at the, the people that maybe have psychopathic traits, but we also look at moderators to that relations. So as I, I mentioned before, it's usually not just the, the, the person that influences an outcome, but also the situation, for example, what kind of environment are you in or which other skills did you maybe learn to, for example, not everyone can manipulate, you need some social, social skills to manipulate others. So what other factors influence if psychopathy is really a danger in the workplace or not, or maybe sometimes an upside or not a downside. So we try to really get some perspective into that topic. 
And so in, in my recent research, I looked at a certain moderator, um, which is the concept or the construct of power. So the idea is people with high expressions of psychopathy usually strive for power because power means prestige and uh, money and dominance over others and so on and so on. So my idea was the more power they have, the, the more dangerous they might be because I think power might be a trigger for actually actual psychopathic behaviors. So this is kind of the basic idea of, of my recent study, looking at how power influences the relationship between a leader with psychopathic behaviors and their, their subordinates, how they perceive their leader. If you think about that, then, what did you find? What role does power play in either encouraging or maybe discouraging psychopathic behaviors? Does it really act as a moderator? So yes, what, what we actually found was that the more um, position power a leader has, so even within leadership, there's, of course, differences in power. So not every leader has the same amount of power. There's also an organizational factor. How much power do we grant our leaders? So what, what we found, or what I found in this research, is that the more power a leader had, the more the team effectiveness was diminished. So we actually looked at MENA specifically because we think this is like the dark corner of psychopathy. And when we had leaders with high expressions of MENA and also high position power, their teams performed worse. And that was said so by the team members themselves. So we didn't ask the, the leaders, did their team perform worse? But we asked the team members, how did your team perform and so on. And also as a next step, we also asked the leader of that psychopathic leader. So we asked one hierarchy level above, and they also found that the leaders performed worse when they were high in position power and high in meanness. So basically, power and psychopathy is not really a good mixture, would maybe be one, <laughs> one thing to say out of my research. And so you focused in there in, in your comments specifically on position power. So a power related to the fact that this person is the managing director or mm -hmm. the chief executive, you know, it's linked to the, the title, the position. Did you look at all at other forms of power? So, you know, power more related to expertise or the, mm -hmm. the person's sort of charisma? And did you look at any mm -hmm. other areas? So in, in that specific research, not yet, but I think that's definitely something that, that I would love to see more, different forms of power and maybe even compare to each other. To also, I mean, now we know that too much position power might be bad, but we would like to give some alternatives. So how are different forms of power influencing that relationship? I cannot, I cannot say this yet since we did not yet do research on it. But what I can say is that in, in other studies, we looked at other moderators, for example, more on the skill level, but we usually found that people with high psychopathy and high social skill were less detrimental because that kind of works as a buffer. They are actually less negative in the workplace. Hmm. And that's also interesting because some people think that having psychopathic people with higher social skill is more dangerous because they can manipulate better after all. Sure. But what we found is that they were less um, negatively viewed by their colleagues. So there are different moderators, but for the matter of power, this is something to look into in the future. And I guess those social skills you refer to there are possibly linked to that, that charming facade and mask that someone might put on that, that, that plays out. But it, but it definitely strikes me as an interesting area because I can see how, you know, if someone has the title 
managing director, chief executive, whatever it might be. This is my job. Just shut up and do what I'm telling you to do or else. Yes. Perhaps in a slightly more charming, psychopathic way mm-hmm. versus someone who has, as I said, you know, referent power, or expertise power or whatever it might be. Yes. And for example, I think this is actually a development that I see more and more now that I really like is that the idea of leadership shifts slowly in society and in organizations from a more hierarchical point of view, you do what I say to a, like, how can I help you reach your goals kind of leadership style. So I would really love to see more research on how different organizational cultures also influence psychopathic behaviors and psychopathic leaders. Yeah, and I guess that's a, a useful, interesting twist as well, because one thing is you've got the, the, the power, but then the style of leadership and how that might play out in, in, in terms of how it's demonstrated, but also possibly what type of people are attracted to those sorts of roles, mm-hmm. depending on their level of um, psychopathy. Just, just to kind of stay with your, your findings mm-hmm. for a moment there, did you find any real differences between demographics so things like gender age nationality industry were there any differences or was it fairly stable across all of those groups so um we didn't really do i think we controlled for gender to check if it's like there's an effect of maybe female or male leaders but i don't remember that we found any anything striking there Uh, i actually had a really diverse sample of managers of different firms, different kinds of organizations, different areas of business and so on and so on. So I think for this study, it's, it's quite, well, it's always hard to say it's very generalizable because it's not always, it's just a single study at this point, but we try to find a really, yes, really diverse sample of managers to exclude that it's maybe just a certain business that is prone to psychopathic managers. I think there are businesses that are more, prone to psychopathic managers. This is actually some research I did uh, and I'm still trying to publish. So it's it's mm-hmm. done, but it's not out yet. <laughs> that, but so for this study, we more global effect for managers of different organizations. And that research that uh, we're talking about today, the, the one that's being published, mm-hmm. that was based primarily in Germany. Is that correct? So it was, it was managers of whatever background, but in, in a German context. Yeah, they were most, no, I think all of them were German managers and they were also mid-level managers. So one thing that would be interesting to look at would be just the higher level managers. So what if, like, if we look at the managers with the most power in the organization exclusively, Mm -hmm. I think there are some studies, but for my study, I was really interested in those everyday kind of leaders that everyone else also meets in daily life, in their work life. How does their psychopathy maybe already affect us as, as their subordinates, for example. If we step on a little bit, mm-hmm. obviously, in terms of your research, we were looking specifically, or you were looking specifically at psychopathy, power, and team effectiveness. But overall, would you feel that psychopathic behaviors perhaps either help or hinder leadership effectiveness when considered more globally you know, is it a, is it a good thing oddly mm-hmm. enough to us <laughs> so in, in this specific research i would definitely deny that and say that leadership um, effectiveness or team effectiveness is, is not really fostered by psychopathic personality traits or psychopathic behaviors but what we did not find what, what was really interesting was a main effect so we did not find that per se 
mean leaders were perceived way worse than, than leaders with less meanness. So that was an interesting side effect. And that also speaks to a body of research and also some meta-analysis showing that there's not a real big effect of psychopathy on leadership effectiveness. So it's really hard to say, yes, psychopathy is bad for leaders or good for leaders. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense if we look at those two compo components we talked about. First of all, what I, what I said in the beginning, that psychopathy is very complex and even contradictory in, in times. So maybe the boldness part can be helpful in leadership. Not being afraid to make decisions, even unpopular decisions, might be a very helpful trait, especially in those jobs where sometimes you have to make hard decisions or unpopular decisions, uh, or where you have to take lots of risks and so on. On the other hand, of course, meanness is, is not really is, is something we shouldn't really be looking for in a leader. But it's hard to say it's always bad or psychopathic traits are always good because the, the constitution and the trait is, is so complex. And also we have those moderators. It depends. For example, seemingly, if you have a leader and don't grant them too much power, it doesn't have to have a bad effect. Or if, to keep, if you keep this power in check, maybe, maybe then it's not so bad. Or if you train them in social skills, this is also something that buffers negative effects. So I think it's it's not that easy to say psychopathic leaders are always bad or always good. In the sense we are talking about psychopathy, the answer is way more complex. If we maybe take the more the, the more the understanding that the media has of psychopathy, I would always say that it's not good to have a psychopathic leader. But the more scientific view is, is way more complex than saying yes or no. Yeah, and I, I guess most people would probably agree that having a leader like Hannibal Lecter wouldn't be the way to go. Uh, you, may, you may not make it home from work on, on any given day. You, you mentioned there as well, obviously, um, the idea of power. You know, if we step away perhaps from psychopathy for a moment and, and leadership effectiveness and, and think about power itself, what inherently do you feel your research tells us about how important power is to mm -hmm. leadership effectiveness? Is it an essential requirement that a leader has power? So based on my research, definitely not. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm more an expert in psychopathy than I am in power. But what I found interesting is I actually even started my research paper with, with this, the saying of power corrupts. Because I think we sometimes tend to think that everyone in power is at one point in their life corrupted and turns bad and, and power hungry and whatever. But this is not really what I got from my research. So my research showed more that if you uh, have lots of power, but you're, you're not really, for example, in that case, psychopathic, nothing happens. So not everyone is corrupted by power. So I wouldn't say that giving people power is always a bad thing, but it depends on finding the right people to put in power, of course. This is a personal selection issue and maybe also a personal environment fit issue. And it's, it's nice to know that it's not leadership per se is not the problem, but we need to rethink who do we give power and also which kind of behaviors do we reward in leadership or do we maybe want to um, make leadership processes more transparent or have them more checked. I mean, power should always be checked. So how are your mechanisms and your organizations? It's something mm. that I would definitely say based on my research. And I guess that goes to a point about should leaders be rewarded for the results they achieve versus how they achieve those results or a combination yes. of the two. 
sure, sure. And what's the organization uh, organizational culture like? So are we rewarded for coaching our employees more than are we rewarded for pressuring them to get the best results? I think this also plays a big part in that. So how do we define power and live power? And yes, how do we reward what managers do? And what is the organizational culture? And if you were to give advice to, for example, a board of directors who were looking to hire a new chief executive mm -hmm. or managing director, uh, would they be the key things that you would focus on? So I would, I mean, especially for high power positions and positions where failure actually is a lot of very risky, where there's high chance of damage in case of failure, for example, I would always advise to screen for dark personality traits. So if you have the chance to have personal selection processes beforehand, which I always hope people have the time and, and measures to do so, I would always recommend to screen for those kind of traits. You don't really need to screen for some expressions for a psychopathy, which are okay. We could even think about maybe there's a, a certain level, there's actually a study about how a certain level of psychopathy is even beneficial, but too less and too much are the, the, the worst parts. So um, screening for that would be a good thing to just find the, the extremes and don't have them in your positions. And after that, thinking about maybe we already hired people and we don't have the chance to get rid of them or don't want to get rid of them or whatever, or we're not certain if, we, if, we, if they have those high expressions or if it's something else, I would always recommend to find um, on the one hand, organizational aspects that can be changed, like how do we lift power here? What's the organizational culture like? And on the other hand, are there maybe skills that we can train? For example, can we train social skills? Can we reward for a more coaching approach to leadership? Or can we reward servant leadership more than other kinds of leadership behaviors? So this is something you could do if you don't have the chance to screen for, for these kind of people. Okay. And and just to remind listeners, the, the, the dark triad in terms of three elements, psychopathy, which we've spoken a lot mm -hmm. about, narcissism and Machiavellianism, yes. uh, and, and they each have negative connotations, but sort of when working together, I guess, is the, not so much the sweet spot, but the opposite of the sweet spot. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, screening for those three types, there are even some that say there are more dark personality traits, but I think most of them have a dark core in common. I mean, they are all separate constructs, but there's something antisocial that they all have in common. So screening for that antisocial core. For example, you wouldn't want to sample someone out that is just high in boldness, but you would like to not hire someone who is either very impulsive or very cruel and so on and so on. So finding that dark core that unites the dark traits, so to say, would be something to look out for. If people wanted to find out more about your research, is there anywhere particular that you would suggest they go? Yeah, sure. So for, for those who really like to read research papers, <laughs> they could, of course, uh, go to my homepage at University of Bonn, or to connect, uh, they could connect with me on ResearchGate. And for those who are less uh, into academic reading, they could reach out to me, for example, on LinkedIn. I usually post those updates of my research for practitioners there. I think, for example, there's a book chapter I'm part of coming out this year for psychopathy for practitioners, more or less, how to deal with psychopathy in the workplace. And I will definitely post an update on LinkedIn and so on if it's, if it's out. So to reach the um, community outside of academia who is interested. 
And yeah, everyone also could connect with me on my new job. So I think the contact info will be linked, but just reach out to me on LinkedIn or ResearchGate, go to my profile on my homepage for University of Bonn or my new job. And I'm always happy to answer questions or get you some insights into psychopathy. That sounds uh, fantastic. Dr. Iris Kranefeld of Cologne Institute of Management Consulting, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much.